I think in general, manufacturing, the outlook, I think is strong. If there's anything, there's, I guess, an overarching theme that I think COVID unveiled the importance of manufacturing in the U.S. From Ray and Associates Studio, this is Unsuitable, a management and financial services podcast for entrepreneurs, tenured business leaders, and others who are ready to look beyond the suit and tie culture for meaningful, measurable results. I'm Doug Hauser. On this weekly podcast, thought leaders and business professionals break down complicated and mundane topics and give you the tips and insight you actually need to grow your business. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss future episodes. If you want access to even more information, show notes, and exclusive content, please visit our website at www.raycpa.com podcast to sign up for updates. As COVID-19 cases continue to climb, it's clear our pandemic woes aren't going anywhere for a while, and neither are the issues it has left in its wake. For key industries like manufacturing, many have been left to wonder, what do we do now and what happens next? CPA and senior manager here at Ray, Andrew Geyser, is joining us today to unpack some of the issues businesses in manufacturing are facing and provide some insights into what comes next for the sector. Welcome back to Unsuitable, Andrew. Thanks, Doug. It's good to be back. Always good to come on here and chat with you a little bit. And yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So you are our manufacturing uh, expert. Obviously, you've got time, which I think folks should know you, you spent a fair amount of time in the manufacturing industry, uh, in the private sector itself, right? In uh, working in various plants, et cetera. So you've, you've seen the inside and outside of, of all of it, right? Yeah, no, yeah, I did. I spent several years in manufacturing plant doing a lot of cost accounting, cost analysis, loss analysis, um, and just, yeah, a lot of supporting operations from that standpoint. So it's, it's different being on the other side, uh, but I really like it, but it does allow me to have a little bit of a different perspective than maybe more of your traditional uh, CPA, public accounting uh, professional. And I think that's great. I know uh, you and I have had a couple of occasions where we've been able to, even though I'm not certainly a manufacturing expert by any means, uh, I've got a few connections in that area and get you out to do some plant tours with uh, senior management of some clients. And I think some of the things you uncover and, and the questions you ask and pose are just tremendous. And I, I think just goes to your your expertise and your ability to just point things out and notice things and, and ask those pertinent questions of clients. And I think that's something that all of our manufacturing clients probably ought to do themselves every day, right? It's, it's just get out there in their facility and ask questions of, of the people that are there. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. In fact, I mean, I definitely wasn't successful at doing it every day when I was out of the plants, but I would say there weren't many weeks I went by, um, even, even being a, a financial analyst at the time, um, really didn't have a requirement to be out on the floor, but tried to be out there uh, fairly often to be visible, get to know the folks out on the floor, get to know the process and understand what was going on. And really that was something that the corporate controller of the company that I worked at before I had relocated down to the plant was very adamant about, he said, you know, get out, get out of your office, get out there, see what's, what's going on, build those relationships because it'll make your life a lot easier as you're trying to do your actual job then. So definitely listen to that, was glad I got that advice. And, and it's something that I would recommend to 
to anyone in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you just, of course, learn so much, but, uh, you know, in, in terms of where the industry, uh, the sector is right now, obviously COVID has thrown everybody for a loop, but I think more than anything, manufacturers have, have really had to adjust quickly because obviously largely they're, they're indoors, uh, you're in a, a kind of a fixed environment, and then all of a sudden we're, we're thrown into this pandemic. How did you see you know, the, the client base deal with it now that we're 18 months or so into it, what are some of the key issues that, that you see they're facing now as a result of that? So I think initially there was just a lot of, everybody's pretty cautious. Um, you know, what do we need to do from a sanitization standpoint, making sure people, if we can keep them, keep them the six feet apart. Um, some people were out there retooling their floors a little bit to, to do that. Um, but that's not always a, viable and cost-effective option uh, with some of the equipment that's out there today. Uh, but after, after kind of that initial, I don't know what you call wave or initial kind of process of figuring that out, I think most people kind of went back, did went a lot of to business as normal, just with, you know, the, the different protocols and precautions to try to mitigate the risk and the spread of everything. Um, because I think, especially here in Ohio, you know, most of our manufacturers were deemed essential. And so they were allowed to keep keep uh, running and stay, stay open. And I think that's what, in general, that's what employees wanted. They wanted to keep working and uh, as well as, you know, management and, and ownership as well. You know, nobody wants to see a, a facility sit idle. Um, so that, that was good. Definitely, definitely was very, very good to see the ingenuity from our manufacturers with that pivoted to make PPE as well as just the resiliency um, to come through and, and basically get the job done when we needed them to. So that was good to see. It's good to work with makes you kind of proud to be, to be working in that area. Absolutely. As far as right now, I would say most of our clients, when we're talking to them, two biggest issues right now are supply chain and, and labor. I mean, there's other things that are definitely, definitely hard to deal with as always, um, but supply chain and just getting materials that are needed when they need them is an issue as I'm sure anybody who, who is involved in the industry has probably read about, you know, with the chip shortage and what it's doing to some of the automotive plants. And it's, it's just, it's really interesting and it's really sad to see, you know, some of those, some of that capital just tied up sitting there and in unfinished inventory and and whip because they need one little part and they just can't get it. But it's trickling down all the way down to other, other industries as well. I know one of my clients specifically was really struggling to get a certain screw that they've been able to get like clockwork for, for years on end. And all of a sudden they couldn't get that screw and it was, it was preventing them from shipping fairly large products. So just working through that and evaluating, yeah, what, what can they do? What can be done? So it's been a yeah, it's, it's crazy. We see that certainly with construction materials too. There might be, you know, a certain piece that's just related to say windows or, or glazing or uh, roofing materials or, um, you know, whatever it might be uh, with regard to either commercial or residential construction. And it seems like a lot of this stuff you know, we're hearing about, well, it's, it's tied up uh, in, in shipping. Now, when we talk about s- supply chain issues, a lot of it is there are shipping issues. In fact, there's uh, an article in, in uh, the Wall Street Journal here recently about just that very fact. So is that some of what you're seeing as well? You know, we, we hear a lot about uh, ports being just 
not operating at full capacity and inefficient and shipping container shortages, all these things uh, causing issues as well. Yeah, no, we're, we're seeing that as well, both on the, you know, the more international side with containers and, and, and the issues at the ports and containers just getting lost. We've had stories of, of folks that had two containers coming over, sitting side by side on a ship and they got one and they didn't get the other. And there's really no, no rhyme or reason why. Um, so that's been really, really interesting and a challenge as well. And in addition to that, just the cost of that has gone, gone way up. Um, but we're also seeing it in, in trucking right now, in freight here, here in the U.S. domestically. There's a massive driver shortage there. And so it's been a challenge, you know, even if you can get your product out the door, out your door, um, it's been a challenge to find um, the transportation needed to get it where it needs to go. So, yeah, that's a good point, And it's definitely something that we're seeing. What are some of the things that uh, companies can do to help mitigate some of those factors, whether it's supply chain issues or, to your point, distribution of their own product out the door? Um, what are you seeing some folks do to try to overcome and mitigate some of that? Yeah, so some of the things that we're seeing is on the supplier side is, is just taking a hard look at, at their supplier base and doing everything they can to try to diversify that. Um, and find different suppliers. Um, but we've heard quite a few people as well that are, are really going all the way down into the engineering and the makeup of their product to see if there's a certain way they can either re-engineer or you know, hopefully maybe not, they wouldn't have to do a whole lot, but change something in their product to be able to use a supplier to provide a certain piece or a certain component that they couldn't before. So that's been something we, we've seen people do as well. And on the distribution side, it's been, I don't, it's been basically just trying to, trying to do whatever they can to find, find logistics and find, find those transportation companies. We've also seen a lot of, you know, larger manufacturers continue that maybe had put off looking at doing their own shipping and buying their own trucks. Uh, seriously consider that as well. But I know there's also been, I don't know, I haven't really read up as much on this, but I, I've just heard grumblings that there's a truck shortage as well. And yeah. we've had a couple of clients that are just straight up out looking for trucks. That's they just want to buy trucks. So yeah, we've we've heard that uh, as well as it relates to construction materials. <laughs> so runs through everything, doesn't it? Yeah, it's crazy, but it's the world we live in, I guess. So we we can't get those uh, those electric uh, self driving trucks on the road fast enough, apparently. Yeah. So actually, funny funny story about that. I, I don't know this this individual directly. Um, it was relayed from another Ray team member, one of our clients. Um, Several years ago, when kind of the whole self-driving truck thing came out, he was very skeptical of it, you know, as, as I would probably be too, if I was in his shoes as an owner of a trucking company. Uh, now, he, now he wants to buy as many as he possibly can, as fast as he can, just because of the driver issue. So it's, it's just crazy to see how, how something like this can change your perception and, and what, you, what you think of things real quick. So, Yeah, I mean, that, that is, um, it is interesting. And I think we all have to try to evolve and adapt uh, as quickly as we can to, you know, these types of constraints, um, whether it's distribution and supply chain, such as we've discussed, or, and, and you touched on it briefly, the, the labor shortage. Now, I'm curious to hear your perspective there. I mean, initially we, you know, I, I would hear clients say, well, if we, we get rid of this extra unemployment uh, compensation, then, then it'll be fine. Well, we've gotten rid of all that and it's still not fine. So, perspective on on the labor shortage and and what we do 
there? And, um, you know, what are you seeing in terms of cost impact, some of those things? Yeah. So, I mean, really, to be honest, labor was beginning to become an issue even before COVID, just with the way the economy was was going so strong. Businesses were hiring, um, seemed like even at that point, at least here in our area where I'm at, central Ohio, businesses were looking for people and couldn't find them. Um, and then, yeah, COVID definitely exacerbated that. I think in general, there was that feeling that, you know, yeah, get rid of some of those programs. Hopefully, you know, some folks will come back into the labor force. I think there maybe there was some higher degree of optimism um, at the beginning that some of the labor force that maybe was was forced to, to not to not be working, you know, and more in the hospitality industry. Um, and some of those that really got hit hard could translate over to, to manufacturing or construction. And I just, I don't think that happened. Like maybe we thought it, it did at first, or we thought it could. As far as, you know, what the other thing that I think we're seeing is for, for anyone who was maybe near retirement leading up to this, it may, it, there's a lot of folks, I think it just maybe set over the edge and said, they said they've had enough. They're just going to go ahead and retire. So I think you had a, you had an exit there and, there, and there's a lot of holes from that standpoint. Really, what we're seeing now is it's it's becoming an issue so much so that companies are are really strapped from a growth standpoint if they don't either start paying people a, lot, a significant amount more or or look at automating or some type of process re- reinvention for what they're doing because it's just not realistic to go out and hire the folks that that you might have been able to five ten years ago. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree, and it's interesting you bring up the that that concept of you know, kind of re-engineering or, you know, rethinking all of, of your process in whatever business you're in. Uh, I think we're seeing more and more of that. I know, for example, in construction, and, and I'm interested to get your perspective here, we're seeing more uh, work done off-site. In other words, prefabricated or in essence, kind of manufactured off-site and not built on-site because, they just don't have the people to do it. I wonder if that's peeling away some folks from the manufacturing sector itself. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think it could be because that that's an interesting point. And, and I could see where as a construction company, you know, obviously there's a wider, wide array of those where if you move something off site, you can probably put it into more of a controlled, repeatable process and, and gain some efficiency there. So I mean, to me, you know, just from hearing about it, that sounds like a great idea. And I'm sure ones that are doing that, uh, companies that are doing that are, are um, seeing some benefits from that. Really, we've had several clients, myself and other, other, some of us that work in manufacturing, literally call us and be like, I can't find people. I need to automate. What do I do? So we're trying to figure out how we can help them, what they need to do, what, what are, like, what are they, even their options? Because a lot of folks just don't know where to start from that standpoint. And so um, it's really, really challenging and yeah, definitely something that, that we're going to have to work through. Yeah. It's, it's interesting um, that I have a client that actually hired a, an engineer from Honda, from the manufacturing sector. He's, he's in the construction business to essentially manufacture a portion of what they do offsite so that they can just be very more, much more efficient in, and use less people because I couldn't find people. Uh, now they do some interior finish type of uh, commercial construction work. So, you know, they're right there. It's peeling somebody away from the auto manufacturing industry. And then that individual is in turn hired several additional people. So 
peeled them away from quote unquote manufacturing industry to construction, which I just, yeah, it's stuff like that. I never would have thought of. And you mentioned automation too. I know, you know, again, anecdotally, a, a client, a construction client that said, look, I'm going to do some, something very similar to that couldn't find enough people. Instead, they're going to go invest in a million dollar piece of equipment to, to more automate what they are able to do. Now, of course, you have to have significant capital to be able to do that, right? Yeah. But the good thing is right now, there's plenty of capital out there, you know, uh, but that requires a rethinking of, of your business. And, and as, as you encounter business owners and things like that, do you, do you sense any reluctance or, or uh, ability to adapt with, with some of them? Or is that largely washing away? I think in general, a lot of it is just, there's an unknown just with processes have, you know, they've been for the most part for a lot of manufacturers uh, have been the way they were, have been for a long time. If they weren't already on, you know, more of a technological uh, advanced side of things, I guess. One of the things I think is changing is the whole analysis of, you know, what is the return on a piece of equipment? Historically, you know, you invest a million dollars, here's your annual cost savings, you know, here's your payback, your ROI, those types of things. Um, fairly straightforward and, you know, made sense. And I think a lot of people, you know, you could, you could really make a lot of decisions based on that. Now, I think it's not so much about the savings, it's about the output. And, you know, we, you can, you're not, you may not necessarily have any labor savings because you're probably not going to lay off any good workers because that's just not honestly not smart in this market. But what's your what's your additional output you could gain, and how do how do how do we factor that into the analysis? How do you know can can we predict it based on our cost structure? What's what what can we expect from, you know, let's say fifteen percent gain in output? How much of that can we expect to drop to the bottom line? So, and from what I'm seeing, it's the analysis on some of those investments is changing a little bit, just because of where we're at, and it's to the point where a lot of those pieces of equipment are, are required for growth, to be honest. So that's, that's interesting. So really even beyond just rethinking or re-engineering their, their own business or product, it's, it's thinking differently about the investments they make too. And, and that, wow, that's, that's fascinating. Very, very cool stuff. So speaking of cool stuff, we've got uh, an upcoming event, um, later in October, uh, right around, uh, is it around national manufacturing day or, or that time frame? What, what's going on? Yeah. So historically we've, we've always done an event on national manufacturing day, which is the first Friday in October. So I think it's October 2nd this year or, or somewhere around there. Um, this year we're, we're switching it up a little bit because we wanted to host it at the, our new Worcester office location. And, you know, given, you know, because of a lot of the challenges we've just discussed, um, that office um, has been delayed a little bit and being open. And so we decided to push back our event to October 29th um, in order to give them time, make sure the office is going to be ready for us. So uh, we're really excited about it. Should be a good event. I think we're, we've got good speakers hitting on um, quite a bit of these, these exact issues that we're, we're talking about here. And we've got a panel discussion of some some folks that have, you know, from, from manufacturers um, that have dealt with these exact things and just to hear about what they've done and what they're doing and how they're looking at things. So it should be a good event. Oh, excellent. I can't, uh, can't wait to, to hear more about it. And I always love to get 
Uh, it sounds like we've got multiple perspectives that, that we're going to get as it relates to uh, some of these issues and, and uh, that, that should be exciting. What about moving forward as we, as we move ahead? Uh, you know, it's hard to believe, but we're going to be thinking about 2022 here uh, shortly. I mean, it, using your, your magic crystal ball, what, what are some of the things beyond these, these issues we've discussed that maybe folks should be paying attention to uh, for next year? So I know one of the big things that I think is kind of out there on everyone's mind is, is tax reform um, and what could be coming there. Um, there's, I, I, I follow it. I, don't, I wouldn't say I follow it closely at this point because you know, we don't really know yet, but I know there's proposals out there. I think in general, the feeling is you know, probably starting next year, there's a good chance tax, tax rates are going to go up and taxes are going to go up. Just how it's structured and, and, and what ends up happening, you know, we, we don't have a whole lot of details yet. Um, so I think everyone's keeping a pace on that, as well as um, from an estate tax standpoint, you know, working with privately held businesses, you know, that that's a big, big area as well. Um, seeing once what's going to happen there is I think, you know, once again, I think change is imminent, but we just don't know what yet. So that I think that's weighing on a lot of people's minds. Um, I think right now it's we're in this kind of a weird waiting period because we don't know what changes are, when they're going to take effect. So um, I'm sure as soon as we get a better sense, there's going to be a flurry of activity here towards the end of uh, 2021 here. As far as everything else, I think I don't know that I see the labor issue correcting itself anytime soon. Supply chain wise, some, some in some areas, we've heard prices um, coming back down um, a little bit, on, I think on the lumber side, but even then, I, I, I just I just don't know. I think it's um, we'll have to see once what this um, second wave does here. How if it sets us back on some of these areas, or if, if we're able to get through it like the first time. So uh, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of unknowns right now. But uh, I think in general, manufacturing the outlook I think is strong. If there's anything, there's I guess an overarching theme that I think COVID unveiled the importance of manufacturing in the U.S. And that we have to be able to be self-sufficient um, in many different areas, and in a lot of areas where we're probably not self-sufficient right now. So I think, in general, the outlook is very, very good for manufacturing. It's it's working through you know the supply chain and the labor issue and getting the right skills where we need them. Yeah, and and unfortunately, you know, it it takes time to to kind of build that infrastructure, uh, you know, and get it in place. I mean, I know. Obviously, for years and years, it, you know, you'd hear about okay, just in time inventory. I don't want to hold any any inventory because it's costly. Well, then you know, COVID kind of flipped that uh, on its ear, didn't it? Like a complete one eighty. Yeah. No, I I would agree with that, and so I think you're going to see people, if they haven't already, evaluating those types of strategies and realizing, hey, you know, maybe it's it's worth it to make the investment and hold hold a little extra inventory for, for when that shipment doesn't show up, um, on time because of, of who knows what. So yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. I think it's definitely forced a lot of people to rethink things in a lot of areas. And so, but yeah, I think overall, just because of, of the necessity to, to do and manufacture stuff here in the U S I think the outlook is, is pretty good. It's just working through these challenges. Yeah. Good, good stuff. Good to hear. Well, well, thanks again, Andrew. And uh, we certainly look forward to the event uh, on October 29th and please reach out to your, any of your friends at, at Ray, be it Andrew or, or myself or anyone else. Uh, and if you 
uh, want to attend that event. I'm sure invites will be forthcoming here soon. Look forward to that. So thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me. And if you want more business tips and insight or to hear previous episodes of Unsuitable, please visit our podcast page at www.racecpa.com slash podcast. And while you're there, sign up for exclusive content and show notes. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Be sure to subscribe to Unsuitable on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to us right now, including YouTube. I'm Doug Hauser. Join us next week for another Unsuitable interview from an industry professional. The views expressed on Unsuitable on Ray Radio are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Ray and Associates. The podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to replace the professional advice you would receive elsewhere. Consult with a trusted advisor about your unique situation so they can expertly guide you to the best solution for your specific circumstance.